You're listening to the On the NBA Beat podcast, a show packed with nuanced perspectives on the league's most important stories. Portland has three timeouts left. The Lakers have two. Bryant, it's a shot! LeBron James with no regard for human life! Jordan. Oh, a spectacular move by Michael Jordan! And now, your host. Lauren Lee Chen, and the twins, Aaron and Joshua Fishman. This summer, fans have been captivated by the first season of Big Three, the three-on-three basketball league founded by Ice Cube and featuring numerous former NBA players as it tours from city to city across the U.S. This weekend, the playoffs will begin in Seattle's Key Arena, and we'll see undefeated Trilogy square off against the Ghost Ballers, while the three-headed monsters take on power. To help us delve into that, we've brought on special guest Oliver Maroney, who covers the Big Three and the NBA for Dime on Uprox, and also hosts the Big Three Show podcast. Something you might not know about Oliver is that he hates bacon. He prefers to keep the sizzle on the court. Hey Oliver, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it, thanks for having me on guys. No problem, we're glad to be talking Big Three with you. I think birthday wishes are in order as we're recording this today, too. So happy birthday to you. (laughs) Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for taking the time out of your day to talk to us. Before we get really started, I want to start off by asking you, how did you first get so interested and involved with the big three? Well, I mean, it's a little longer story than I would hope. But basically, yeah, I mean, I, I was big on it when it was first announced. Uh, and a couple of their people from the PR team had reached out to me, had seen some of my work and had said they were interested on in collaborating and kind of, you know, giving me some guys to talk to in exchange, obviously, for articles or potential interviews. And, and kind of that started the, the train rolling, I guess you could say. And from there, I uh, did a few pieces and, and had an idea on a bigger, broader story and, and, and really started seeing what this league could potentially be. So I talked to Ice Cube. I talked to Jeff Kwatnitz. I talked to Roger Mason, I talked to a bunch of the players and got the behind the scenes story of how the whole thing started. And that was really kind of my, I guess, I don't know if it was my ticket in or anything like that, but um, I know everybody seemed to enjoy that article just because of the stories that were in there and the quotes that were in there. And then obviously having Ice Cube, a legendary, you know, artist and musician and businessman, entrepreneur, along with other people that were in there, it just, it, it really worked out well. And I think that they enjoyed it enough to kind of say, Hey, let's, uh, let's talk more about doing more stories. And one thing led to the next, I, I brought up, you know, having my own potential big three show to ice cube and company, and they were all on board. They loved the idea. I sent them some rough copies and some, you know, ideas behind it. And from there, uh, yeah, I've been hosting the big three show since then. And been working with them closely on a, a number of different things and just really enjoy, you know, the type of basketball that's being played. Obviously, there's nostalgia involved, but I think people are just overlooking the fact that this is a competitive basketball league and not just something where retired players go to, to play. This is something a little bit more than that. They've got camaraderie. All the players enjoy each other. And it's just very different from your normal NBA atmosphere. So uh, that's why, like I said, I jumped on early, and uh, I'm I'm glad that they liked me enough to to put me on a, a little higher scale than just being a media member that's covering the the events. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And in addition to the Big Three show and all your articles and videos that you've been producing, 
It looks like you're having a lot of fun with this experience, too. I know as you go up to Seattle for this weekend, you're scheduled to face off against Michael Rapoport and Brian Scalabrini in a modified game of horse. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that'll be right. That's 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 basically right. We'll see. We'll see how, how good that, that looks. If, if it doesn't turn out this week, it'll be in Vegas the, the following week. So okay. one of the two will get it down here. I'm not, not sure their schedules and everything has to be timed right, but th- they have approved that message and know that it's coming. You had an outstanding challenge to Lou Williams too, right? When uh, the big three went oh, yeah. into LA. Did that end up happening? No, Lou Williams bailed out, man. He didn't show up, and uh, I think he was just afraid. I, I don't know. I don't know what the situation was, but uh, obviously, uh, m- my shooting I- is a little better than what people expected it to be. And I think I challenged Rashad McCants too to a game of horse, and he's like, <laughs> "Yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go back to the drawing board. I heard you were a pretty good shooter." So, yeah, there's uh, there's a couple offers out on the table. We'll see what happens, but uh, I always try and have a fun with it. Look, this is part of the gig you got to have fun with it and it's just enjoyable to be around these guys and just like i said i i enjoy the league i love the the idea behind it and just all the people that are involved really care and and want this league to succeed and it's just different from like i said any other atmosphere i've kind of been involved with yeah so this weekend in seattle the playoffs of the big three league are actually about to start now that you've experienced the whole first regular season of the league you've talked about this a little before but what are just your general impressions of how successful it's been and the product it's been putting out well i mean it's been successful enough for people to start complaining that the games aren't live (laughs) um you know i mean who would have thought six months ago people would be talking about three-on-three professional basketball and uh even even in the light of saying like why isn't it live why isn't you know they're more on uh, why are the games played just on one day? Why can't we have them on more days? I've heard so many different complaints like that. That's a good thing to have. Uh, people wanting your product, people wanting to see it. Uh, and I, I think that's been probably the most shocking thing to me is just how much people got involved with us early on and, and bought into it. Now, obviously there's some people out there that say, look, this is still the retired basketball players league. And you know, these guys aren't up to snuff, but I can tell you firsthand, like most of these guys are working out doing two or three days. I mean, Steven Jackson is most notable, but uh, a lot of these guys, uh, you know, they work out, they sleep, they wake up, they do the same thing and eat. They, they have a lot on their plates and a lot on their schedules, obviously, with their other business endeavors and things that they're doing. But to be able to uh, continue playing and playing at a high level, I, I think has been great for these players. And I think that they're bought into the idea as well as you can see you know gilbert arena showing up to practice saying he wants in uh lamar odom is the the rumored guy glenn davis definitely spoke out and said he wants in i've heard paul pierce's name thrown around obviously kobe bryant shaquille o'neal these guys you know there's there's rumors out there for a reason and i think you know one way or another the league's going to continue to grow it's going to continue to improve and i think the most shocking thing of all is just the fact that the attendance of all these arenas and all these games has been I mean, higher than I think I would have anticipated. I didn't think they'd even be, you know, depending on the situation, depending on the circumstances, a brand new league going into Staples Center, you don't expect that place to be pretty much filled. And it was close to filled. And I think that, you know, you look at Lexington, the same sort of thing. That's a that's a college town and it's not even college season. Like people aren't there, but they still managed to grab, you know, eight, nine, ten thousand people there. Barclays Center sold out. Chicago sold out. You know, you look at some of these other arenas. Obviously, it's a four-hour event. People have to get used to going to multiple games at a time. But 
it's a big bang for your buck. You get four games and, and one ticket price. The ticket prices are so much lower than, than what a regular NBA game would be. And most of these guys are giving away tickets for kids for free. So all in all, it's just a great family atmosphere. It's fun to watch. It's fun to consume and enjoy. And uh, like I said, I think the value is just there to continue to have this grow and improve uh, year after year. Yeah, and in terms of the general format of the game, for our listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with it, they're clearly going for a pickup game type of vibe. It's half court, three on three, first team to 50 wins. But they've also incorporated some other interesting rules as well. Uh, most notably, I think, the four-point shot. So there are a couple spots on the floor where if you shoot from the circle, you get four points instead of three. I think based on your previous answers, it's clear you think those have been successful in making it an entertaining game, something that people like to watch, getting that sort of playground vibe. But do you think there's anything else in future seasons that could also be integrated or implemented and changed? Uh, Yeah, I, I think, you know, I, you look at the travel schedule, it, it's pretty it's pretty small in the scheme of things. It's 10 weeks. It's a short season. It's It's short and sweet, I guess you could say. You know, I, I could see them go abroad. I think that's another thing that you could definitely tap into. I think, I think China is a great option. Uh, they love basketball there. They love some of these players that are playing in this league. And I think moving, you know, trying to find venues that haven't been touched. I mean, you look at Seattle this weekend. That's a great basketball city that doesn't have basketball there right now. And I think them cultivating those fans that haven't had a professional basketball experience before and being able to go to the arena and you know, buy a ticket for 20 to $30 is, is a huge plus for them. So I think integrating, you know, more cities, the worldwide aspect of it, obviously, it is one of the world's most played games, three on three basketball is. So uh, certainly up there as far as, you know, world consumption goes. But I think if they're to add like rules or change or adjust things, I mean, I, I love the way it's formatted. I think it's pretty perfect. You look at, you know, the, the situation, the four point shot definitely is there. Uh, we saw this week that Xavier Silas had a four point shot. It was a crucial moment in the game. It changed the game. I mean, it really, the ball hogs took out the threes company from playoff contention because of that four point shot by Silas. And you see him obviously win player of the week as well, but that four point shot really changes the game. And I think it's fun to watch. It's exciting. Uh, I think they've made the rules so that, you know, when you get close to 50 points, that's when teams really start gearing up and being better on defense, like closing down opponents and really trying to make them work for every offensive possession. And I think it's just been, uh, yeah, like I said, I don't really know if there's any rules that I would change other than the fact that maybe go to more cities, maybe try and find, you know, outside this country opportunities to go to, because I think the players would love it. And I think the fans across the world would like it. And just to clarify for our listeners, you are not insulting Xavier Silas's team. They are called the Ball Hogs. So just wanted to clear that up. <laughs> yes, that is the name of their team. So that is that is not uh, an indictment not of their style of play. <laughs> Even though you do have to play a lot of one-on-one ball in this three-on-three format. And I think a lot of people are excited about that. It makes defending, in my opinion, so much more difficult. But one thing I wanted to focus on is how physical the level of play is and how much more, I don't know if lax is the right word, that the referees have been instructed to be. Rashad McCants, after their Week 8 win, he was talking a lot about that, kind of set up the league as a contrast to the NBA in 
that the league has gone pretty soft in his opinion. And he argued that a lot of fans don't really like that. And it's refreshing for many to see this physical level of play. And the players love it too from his perspective. Tell us a little bit about that dynamic. Yeah, no, the players love it because that's the 1990s way. I mean, that, that you know, 1980s, 1990s NBA basketball was no hand, uh, hand checking was allowed. And, you know, there was just more physical play allowed. And, and now you get into this day and age where players are paid, you know, 200 million plus dollars over five or six years and teams want to keep their guys healthy. So the only way to kind of eliminate injuries is by just making it a non-contact sport, which it's almost essentially become. Uh, you look at all the fouls that are being called, it's 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 really, you know, they're very minimal in the scheme of things. A lot of time players aren't even touched. The flopping kind of stuff happens all the time. This league, it's it's completely the opposite. The refs are, you know, they're they're instructed on how to ref and it's just a different style of game, like you say. And I think people are refreshed by it because there is a negative connotation towards flopping and towards, you know, faking fouls and faking injuries and you know, I, I can't recall the year it was, but Paul Pierce being stretchered off and then coming back in like 10 minutes later, like that was almost like the perfect, you know, analogy to kind of the NBA today <laughs> as it is, as a lot of these players are arguing for tiki tacky calls when, when really, I mean, the game overall is, is pretty soft. And I think, you know, when you look at the big three and what they've tried to develop and accomplish is they've tried to take it back a little bit. They've tried to make it more physical. And I think you can tell on the floor, like when you're standing there or at the game, you can tell it's just so much more physical. It's almost like a, it's a cross between kind of like a boxing match and an NBA game from like the 1990s, just because players are really going at it. They're yelling at each other, the arguing's there, the, you know, just the competitive nature of these players is still all intact and they don't hold back. I mean, in the NBA, a lot of these guys would hold back from arguing or, you know, using their arms or whatnot. I mean, Charles Oakley got a flagrant, but like it was a very clear and blatant flagrant with his elbow. And I think everybody would say the same thing. But I mean, aside from that, there's just a lot of physical fouls and the physicality involved for every one of these players has just been moved up tremendously since they started in this league. And I, th- I think it's going to continue to to move in that direction. Uh, obviously, they still want to tone down some of it, but keep it to a minimum, I guess you could say, so that it doesn't get... Uh, too outrageous i know i think it was the killer threes game where guys were kind of going at it after the game a little bit and kind of arguing about some of the plays or whatnot but for the most part you know it's been fun competitive hard-nosed basketball and it's refreshing to see because uh we a lot of basketball fans miss that yeah it was the killer threes game and that was charles oakley's debut as a player he's a player coach in this league and he had that incident you alluded to where he elbowed Al Harrington in the face area, I believe. And then also there was an altercation with James White during the game. Rashawn McCants was waxing, I thought, pretty eloquently about how it's their passion to really not be so closely policed. And that most situations, the players really take care of it themselves and doesn't usually in his estimation, get too out of hand. So he's more with the laissez-faire, hands-off kind of approach to officiating that that Ice Cube and Roger Mason and company have mandated. So I think that's definitely an interesting aspect of the league. I did also want to mention that I believe it was earlier this summer 
the Olympics, the IOC officially added three-on-three basketball to the slate of events for 2020. Correct. So that's going to be a lot of fun. I had talked about this a little bit earlier, but can you explain a little bit more, in your opinion, how the style of play is different with fewer players on the court and how that may enhance the creativity offensively and increase the challenges on the defensive end? Yeah, I mean, you you kind of alluded to one of them, which is it's it, it leads to more one-on-one ISO play basketball where you have a guy going one-on-one against another player. And as players in the NBA and as players in basketball know, going one-on-one against an opponent is an offensive player's dream and a defensive player's nightmare for the most part because your defense has to be spot on entirely. And you're really relying on your own body and your own self to, to recover and, and try and make it difficult on the offensive player. And it's not easy when you have an offensive player that either has handles or ball skills and the ability to shoot the outside shot potentially, because then, you know, the weaknesses aren't necessarily glaring where you can identify those. So I think that's, that's obviously one aspect. The other aspect is the team game or the team aspect of this is much more vocal than it is movement based. I think, I think a lot of this is communication because these players need to know, like, if they are going to go one-on-one, how are they going to set their teammates up for the best offensive possession? Uh, you need to set picks at the right moment. It's very precise. And I think you watch, like, Mahmoud Abdul-Baruf, and you see kind of, like, how he plays the game. It is very precise. Like, he's watching everybody on the court at one time, essentially, and, like, turning his head in multiple directions, trying to figure out what the best position for him to be in is. And I was talking with Marcus Banks about this, who was playing against him this weekend. He just said, that guy, that guy has basketball IQ that's unlike any other. And I think you can definitely tell that on the floor. And players know that much more when you're playing three-on-three versus five-on-five because they're held accountable defensively and offensively. So there's multiple differences between this game and and between five-on-five, run-and-gun, kind of up-and-down basketball. But I think the most important one is you really have to be a smart basketball player in order to get the best possessions. And the other thing, too, is this league, 14 second shot clock, like you have almost no time to create an offensive shot or a very good offensive shot. And you have to find what is best for your team at that moment. For instance, that ball hogs possession where Xavier Silas hits that four point shot like that wouldn't be possible if they had a 24 second shot clock. I don't think he takes that shot if they had a 24 second shot clock. So having the 14-second shot clock there not only creates urgency to make an offensive position better, but it also puts the defense on their toes more and really creates an atmosphere that's unlike anything that we've ever seen. I think a lot of people also want to know about the injury factor. There were a lot of high-profile injuries early in the tour, especially the first week. Jason Williams went down, Corey Maggette too, Jermaine O'Neal has been injured most of the tournament, Chauncey Billups, and I think a few others. I don't want to overstate the injury risk to some of these older players. A lot of them aren't even really that old. Some of their careers ended earlier than they would have hoped, maybe, and they're in their mid-30s, for example. But to what extent are you worried for the league of the injury risk, given that these are former NBA players that are, are in the pool, that the probability of injury is heightened. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not too worried. I mean, you look at this season, 
they had a lot of injuries, like you said, early on. And since then, it's been pretty spot on. I mean, there's been very little injuries to report since about week five, I think. And there's there's a couple here and there, and you're going to have nagging injuries. It doesn't matter how old you are. I mean, that's the injuries are a part of basketball. I mean, most NBA teams have three to four players get injured throughout a season, maybe even four to five or five to six. So you see teams go on the waiver wire and you see teams go like that. With this league, I mean, it's the same thing. I think the probability may be a little bit higher. Maybe there's a, you know, three or 4% more chance that one of these guys gets hurt over somebody else. But uh, like I said, I can tell you firsthand that most of these guys are in shape and they are doing whatever they can to keep their bodies in the, in the best possible form. Obviously some of them, they, they came off not playing basketball for a season or two. So do they have to get their bodies back to where it was? Sure. But you look at a guy like Ricky Davis, he's been working out ever since he got out of the NBA and hasn't stopped. They still continue that grind. Like, I don't, I don't think people understand, like when you're in the NBA or when you're in any professional sport for that matter, you love the game and you have a passion for it more than just about anybody else that you know. And if you don't do that anymore, it feels weird. Like most of these players, they talk about it. Like being retired is strange. Like, what do you do with your time? How do you deal with yourself? So they go back to what they know, which is, working out, playing basketball. Like most of these guys play pickup basketball. Most guys, you know, work out multiple times a day. That is part of their routine. That's part of their daily routine. And I think, you know, the injuries while they're there and they're going to be there no matter what, I don't think the probability is that much higher that these guys get injured over anyone else. And I, I think when you look at this league overall, they, they did set it up in a, in a case where if there is injuries, they do have reserve players that can go in. I mean, you see Lou Amundsen making a difference. You see guys that are a little bit younger, like Xavier Silas in there. You see uh, other players step up and take advantage of their roles. So I think it's just like the NBA. I mean, star players get injured, players get hurt, just part of the game, part of the situations. And I think as this thing continues to grow and improve, I think you're going to start to see guys come in more in shape than they've ever been or close to. And I think that they're going to be more prepared for next season than they were this season. And to your point, Corey Maggetti and Katino Mobley like to play and pick up basketball. All the time in L.A., yeah. So they were ready. And Mobley's been playing for years, whether it's the Drew League or wherever he can get his hands on a basketball. That guy is just on the court. Yeah, he's on the court all the time. He works his butt off. I mean, that guy, he's a machine. I mean, (laughs) that, that is what some of these players are. Steven Jackson, same thing guy literally like i said he quote unquote i eat sleep and work out that's pretty much my day i mean like that's that's what he does so a lot of these guys are just used to it and i think you know you mentioned Coutinho mobley one of the older guys in the league he's balling out he's he's a low-end mvp candidate i think at this point so i think you look at the future of the league you look at the landscape if players know that they have to get in shape for this thing then they're going to and i think you know this year is just uh, an anomaly in that sense yeah and as you were saying before too you know, injury risk probably does increase with age, but look at a guy like the guy you mentioned earlier, Mahmoud abdul Rauf. He's 48. He's playing out of his mind right now. I mean, I think people would have expected it. Maybe if you've seen him, how in shape he is, videos of him in camp, and just also seeing him when he played in the league. I really enjoyed watching him play in the league back in the day, but he's really surprised a lot of people too. He has. No, yeah, he definitely has. And I mean, he was one of the best players in the NBA during his prime. And then obviously he took his stand and did his thing. And unfortunately for him, very similar to the Kaepernick situation, if you want to compare the two, 
he didn't get an opportunity after that. And I think that he's kind of making this as his redemption story. This is his comeback. This is what he wants to do. And I think, you know, you look at a lot of these players, they were overlooked or they were highly touted and they either didn't live up to expectations or um, for whatever reason, it just didn't pan out in the NBA. And they're looking to prove something. They want to prove something to people that they can play at the highest level, that they can still ball out, that they can still go out there and do their thing. And I think, you know, you look at Abdul Roof or you look at, you know, Rashad McCants, these guys either didn't get their shot or didn't get most of their opportunity given back to them. And I think they feel hurt by that. And they're using that as kind of their motivating factor to continue playing and and playing in this league at a very high level. Yeah. And I know you said it's not just the retired NBA players league, but that aspect does seem to be a big draw for the league as it tours the country. So obviously, some players have connections to those cities. This past weekend in LA, we saw several former Lakers and Clippers make their homecoming. This weekend in Seattle, I know you mentioned before, since Seattle doesn't have an NBA team, it's a great opportunity for those basketball fans in Seattle to get a chance to watch this high-level competition. In terms of marketing, that's been a huge success for them. Yeah, it has. I mean, it definitely has. I mean, you look at you look at the players that are going back to their hometowns. They haven't been back in, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. I mean, Gary Payton, when's the last time he went to Seattle and was there coaching slash playing? I don't want to say that this is going to happen. I have no sources or anybody that's going to tell me this, but Charles Oakley made his debut last week. Like, uh, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if Gary put on a, a jersey for five minutes or something like that. I'm not saying he's going to play, but maybe he warms up with the team. Maybe he's, I, I, I don't know his situation, like I said, and I'm not at all reporting anything, but I, I wouldn't be shocked one bit to kind of see that happen because this is the first time he's back in Seattle. And if the fans give him love and they appreciate him, I mean, that, you know, that could spark something in him. So I think all these players, when they go back to their hometowns or their home cities, I mean, there's a lot of extra fans that show up and support. And this is a good opportunity for Seattle. As Gary said earlier today uh, with the big three for Seattle to kind of put on a show and showcase why these fans deserve basketball back, because this will be the first time that basketball has been played there in quite a few years at a high level, at least. And uh, you look at Gary Payton, you look at Richard Lewis, those are two Seattle legends. And I think that the crowd could be very ruckus and very big. And uh, we could see a lot of good entertaining basketball along with, you know, a potential buy-in from the city of Seattle to, to push for that NBA team even further. I think that's also why a lot of fans of the Big Three League were a little disappointed in the Allen Iverson situation. I know he was one of the biggest names involved with the promotion of the league. People were like, this is like the perfect format for a player like Iverson. But so far, he's barely played. Notably, he didn't play in Philadelphia and also didn't show up to the league's week six stop in Dallas, which resulted in him getting suspended for the next week. What can the league do about that kind of issue if any of the stars aren't necessarily bought in completely? I think Allen Iverson is bought in. I just think to what extent, I mean, it, it varies per player. I mean, the, the players are expected to be there and Allen Iverson was never expected to play. I mean, he actually came in and said like, he's going to be a player coach and he came in and played a couple games and was not exactly up to shape. And I think that shocked him. I think the level of play and the competitiveness of the games shocked him to a point where he said, 
I'm not fit enough to play. I'm going to allow Andre Owens to play because quite frankly, Andre Owens is a much better player at this point in his career. So I, I think he did what was best for his team. Now, was it best for the fans? Probably not. But I think you look at that situation and you tell yourself, like, if you want this league to stay competitive and you want this league to not be about celebrities, I think Allen Iverson was smart in the sense that he he decided to take a backseat to other players. And that may be the first time in his career that he's done so. Um, now, yes, is, is it unfortunate that Philadelphia didn't get to see Allen Iverson suit up? Sure. But should they have expected him to really play a bunch? I don't really think so because he hadn't up to that point. And he probably wasn't ever going to because that was kind of the expectation that I was at least given when this first started was, look, he's not going to play very much. He's a player coach. He's probably going to coach more than he plays. And you look at the first couple of games and you say, okay, well, he shot really poorly, didn't really do much offensively, wasn't necessarily the most in shape. And I think it shocked him. I think, and and for a player like that, to, to, to literally not play up to snuff with what he's used to playing like, I think that's got to be frustrating, annoying, and not only that, but something you don't want to do to yourself because you're used to being the best of the best, and instead he wasn't. So I, I think you look at that situation and you say, okay, well, maybe Allen Iverson works out this offseason, gets back into shape, full strength, and, and goes at it next year. Maybe not, but I think for him to play, he'd have to be one of the best players in this league. Right, right. I, I didn't mean to necessarily attack no, him and say no, that fine. he was no, no, uh, no. not bought in. But yeah, it's a good point in his defense. Like he even made the statement like the fans are expecting a certain thing if they see him on the court. And he's yep. not that same type of player anymore in his 40s. And it's difficult to come to the realization of that. If you're a fan, it's difficult to come to that. I understand that completely. And while it's frustrating, of course, I mean, it, it's it sucks. I mean, both ways that that is that is a frustrating point of this. But I think, you know, like I said, overall, the competitive nature of the league and what they're trying to accomplish here is the fact that they want a league that's competitive and longstanding. They don't want this to be like an all-star game where it's just kind of lackadaisical. Guys are just messing around, doing whatever they want. They want it to be fun, obviously, but they also want it to be competitive and hard-nosed. and They want to keep that intact. And in order to do so, I think Allen Iverson looked at himself in the mirror and said, look, I, I, I honestly am not probably good enough to be on the floor right now. And I think Andre Owens is probably a better mm-hmm. bet. So, mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that that's what it looked like, in my opinion. Earlier in the show, you were talking about how a lot of fans of this league are wondering why the games are not broadcast live. The championship game actually will be broadcast live two weeks from now when yep. the league visits Las Vegas. Gus Johnson, Jim Jackson, and Michael Rappaport will be providing commentary for that game. What are the adjustments that need to happen to go from how it currently is a tape delayed broadcast to a live broadcast. Well, it just has to be condensed down. I think they did do a good job of that for the first week because it wasn't going to fit in that broadcast time, but I think they've even got to potentially condense it down even further. You look at the time right now, I think it's three hours total of game film or whatever. And they just have to find a way to kind of close that gap and still make it intriguing for the viewers. But I think they will have live events moving forward after the championship. I think next year you can definitely expect that because now the fans want it. And, you know, it's unfortunate that it's on tape delay for the time being. But yeah, like I said, six months ago, nobody was asking for any sort of live three on three basketball. And now that that has been a very, very big complaint. So 
while they can't fix it immediately, uh, the championship game will definitely be live. And that should be interesting and fun and exciting for the viewers out there. But I think that will give you a glimpse into what uh, the future could hold for the big three. As we wind down, we definitely should touch upon the actual on-the-court play. And I mentioned this earlier, Trilogy went undefeated 8-0 during the regular season, led by Rashad McCants, who was the first overall big three pick. They also have Al Harrington, James White, Kenyon Martin plays some solid minutes off the bench. Deion Glover, I believe, too. They have been really good, really dominant. Tell us a little bit about how they've been able to be so successful in such a short period of time, and who are the biggest threats to them, possibly Richard Lewis's team, maybe? Yeah, it'd be the three-headed monsters, probably, because of the, the size that they possess as well. I think you look at Trilogy, and the thing that sticks out with them is they're a team top to bottom. All these guys talk 24-7, they're in text chains, they're talking about schemes and plays, and you know, Rashad talks about it a bunch, but all these guys really connect very well together. They all have their own little story. You know, Al Harrington was kind of overlooked. Kenyon Martin, Rashad McCants, all these guys played in the league at some point or some capacity and played at a very high level. They were all very, very capable players. Uh, but it just, for one reason or another, they they leave the league. And I, I think all these the personalities fit. And you look at a guy like Rick Mahorn, a big man, a bruiser down low. I mean, he's done a phenomenal job of just trying to get the most out of these guys and finding ways where they can really bully people in the post. And Al Harrington's been just a monster down low. And Rashad McCants has been hitting his outside shot. Kenyon Martin's been a good, good spark off the bench. And James White, I mean, he can still dunk, man. He's got all the skills to, to be able to be a very capable player in this league. So I think overall, they just have a very good tandem and combination of players that work well within a system and with each other and they know who to divert to i mean a lot of these teams they're like okay well it's your turn it's your turn well this team it just seems like they're they're a little bit more unselfish than the other teams and and they're they're capable of if rashad gets hot to just keep giving him the ball and just keep feeding him and when al's getting hot they just keep feeding him down low so they've been very good at just you know being able to adjust their game to play to their advantage and beat other teams and i think you look at the teams that could potentially beat them i I think the ghost ballers are up there you know ricky davis mike bibby those are two very very capable players mike bibby's been very good from outside and i think ricky davis has been kind of their go-to man but you look at uh, the three-headed monsters and i think that's probably the biggest biggest competition for them just because they have kwame brown a big man down low who's pretty versatile he's done a lot for that team and then richard lewis can bang in the post anytime and in this league, you've seen him just dominate. I mean, he's probably the MVP candidate right now or the front runner for MVP just because of the, the way he's been able to manhandle people down low and still hit the outside shot. So his game fits very well with this three-on-three basketball league. And I, I think his game fits well with the other guys that he's playing with. Uh, Abdul Roof, which we've mentioned a bunch of times, but he's been very precise, very, very solid. He doesn't make many mistakes. He's just He's very good on offense and defense. And then... Uh, like I said, Kwame Brown and uh, Richard Lewis, all those guys, they've just been very solid. Uh, they, they have a lot of post presence that could probably give Trilogy some problems. Thanks for the segue. It's almost like you're looking at my script, but as far as league MVP is concerned, who are your big three, pun intended? Oh, league MVP, I'd have to say Richard Lewis, McCants, and man, I'd say Andre Owens, even though his team is... 
out of the playoffs, he's been superb. I mean, I, uh, I was actually working out with him at practice this past Saturday and he hit like 20 for 20 from downtown at one point. He's just, he's really good offensively and his body is big enough to where, I mean, actually Richard Lewis and Andre Owens went one-on-one at practice and they went back and forth and back and forth, like exchanging bucket and bucket and bucket. And Andre Owens is a good, like six to seven inches shorter than, yeah, maybe not six to seven, maybe four to five inches shorter than Richard Lewis and could still bang in the post with him. So I think those three are probably my candidates. Al Harrington would probably be that fourth guy. We've taken a lot of your time, Oliver. Just one last question. I want to talk about the future of the league some more. I know you expressed interest in hopefully getting this league expanded to international venues for future seasons, getting other high-profile former NBA players. I know people like Lamar Odom, Gilbert Arenas, you said Paul Pierce, Kobe Bryant's a name that's often floated around. Do you see this as being completely self-sustaining yet? Or is there anything else that Ice Cube as the league head or Roger Mason Jr. as the commissioner need to do to make sure they can keep the ball rolling and keep this league sustainable? Yeah, I think the main thing really is just keeping it top of mind throughout the season. I think that the summertime is great. It's an incredible kind of idea that they've put together. They've put everything that was on paper on the roadmap and it's working. But I think really trying to keep this success going throughout the season and, like I said, finding out new avenues, whether it's going to China or going on a world tour potentially during the regular season, or maybe it's not even during the regular season, but, you know, finding ways to keep it top of mind so people know about it and people don't forget kind of what this league is about, because I I think that that is definitely part of it. I don't think it's going to go away. I think it's going to continue to be in the news just because you look at the players and the high profile people that are in it already, and then the people who are rumored to be in it. But if I was to say one thing, that would probably be it is just keeping it top of mind throughout the season and throughout, especially like during the playoffs and after the playoffs are over in the NBA, making sure that people know that it's coming up because that's really crucial to, I think, keeping league success and and having things relevant and, and staying relevant. So I think, you know, adding additional players throughout the season will definitely help. And I think really overall, they've built a business model that can't not work. And the reason I say that is because Ice Cube, anybody they talk to about Ice Cube, when he does something like he does it, there's no ifs, ands or buts about it. Like he's going to buy in 100 percent. He's going to make sure it works. And you've seen him everywhere. I mean, he's done everything that he can possibly do. And I think that just shows like how high he sees this league, how high he values it, and just the production and where he sees this going. I mean, this is not a one-year or two-year plan. This is a 10- or 20-year plan. And they've got to map out you know, every single season what they need to improve upon. And what's great about it, as you saw, in the first week, it went a little bit longer than expected. There were a couple of rule changes they made. They've been very proactive in just changing things on the fly, which you never see with a league because of all the different things that are involved. They're more open to any idea as long as it's a good one. And I think that that will help this league grow and improve year after year. And I think you're just going to see more and more fandom, more and more entertainment value out of it. And I think more and more teams will, will end up being involved as well. Oliver, thanks again for joining us today. It was a great time talking to you. Have a great time in Seattle and Las Vegas. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the time. Good luck in the shooting contest, too. <laughs> I'll need it. <laughs>